The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of Starnes Media Group or KWAM. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern for a lot of families is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, I tell you, we are privileged this morning to have a guest, a frequent guest of ours, and we're going to dive in and unpack a little bit about what's going on with the economy and what do we expect for 2021. My guest is the founder and president of Stewardship Partners, Rusty Leonard. Welcome to the program, sir. Hey, always good to be with you, Jim. Thanks. Well, you know, Rusty, I tell you, you're always a blessing to hear from because what you do is put into layman's terms some of the very important facts that I think my listeners are always wanting to know about. And that's just really what in the world is going on. Because as you know, we talked a lot about this. The right side of the media says one thing. The left side of the media says something else. And we're caught in the middle. And I tell you, if you you just want to get confused, start on one side and then try to make make your way through the day. By the time you get to five o'clock or six o'clock news, you're so stressed out you don't know what to do. That's just the way it is. But that's the media as we know it today. But you do a phenomenal job of helping us understand. And I really want to start with a question that really a lot of our listeners have been asking. We've got it much many times in the last couple of weeks, and that is, are we in the middle of a bubble? Can you help me with that? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's not too hard to determine uh, in this particular situation that we are in a bubble. And a bubble is when you know stock prices go through the moon. They kind of get detached from reality to some degree, or at least some of them do. And we've certainly seen a lot of that. Uh, there was a, a great example of uh, how you know we're in a bubble this past week when Elon Musk recommended some kind of app called Signal. And uh, the stock, there's a stock called Signal. That stock went up 1,100% in two days because <laughs> people thought the stock made the app that Elon Musk was talking about. But the company didn't. This company called Signal didn't make that app. It was completely disconnected from it. And so the stock went through the moon because people are crazy right now with stocks. And when they hear somebody make a recommendation like Elon Musk, they go chasing things like, uh, like Signal. And, of course, on the third day, when people started coming to their senses, the stock declined by 75%. I haven't kept up with it since then, but I assume it's gone way back down again uh, to wherever it started. But that is bubble behavior. When people start doing loony things without doing any research or everything's disconnected from reality, and it happens when there's too much liquidity in the market, too many people, too much money chasing too few stocks, and they push them up to prices that are really just kind of unreasonable. You know, you talk about that, and, and the unreasonableness of that is really the problem. So now, how would how should an investor think about this? I mean, all of a sudden, when you talk about something as simple as a stock, and somebody says something about it, and everybody jumps on it, but to our listeners, how do they stay clear of this type of recommendation? I mean, how do they avoid this? Do they, I mean, I want to hear from you. What do you say to them to be careful? I mean, how do they? How are they to think, and how are they to behave? Well, in order to avoid 
being caught up in the nonsense like that uh, situation with a company called Signal. Uh, there's people had bad signals. They they got bad <laughs> signals from from wherever they were, whoever they were getting their information from. So, so they need to get good signals, right? They need yeah, to get whatever tea leaves they were reading Schumacher. wasn't good. Yeah. Right. They need to get a good signal from Jim Shoemaker and his uh, colleagues over at Shoemaker Financial. I mean, that's you really need as uh, individual investors. Uh, there are some who are, you know, have the time and the uh, insights that they can, you know, avoid such ridiculous things. But most people are going to require the help of a professional like yourself and your firm and our firm. So it's it's just, you know, they sh- you really do need, especially in times like this, the need for a financial advisor is greater than ever because the risks are greater than ever when you have a bubble uh, scenario. All right. We talk about bubbles. We, we You're saying that when you've got this type of a mentality, almost like following the herd mentality and, and the emotional side of investing, what might cause this current bubble to burst? I mean, I, I mean, is it is it is it possible that we could go through 2021 in this scenario or do you see it? You know, is it, do you see a possible burst here in the next nine months, three months, whatever? Well, it's it's impossible to know. Those things are are really very difficult to call uh, bubble tops, and they can just happen for no reason at all. Back in 2000, when the internet bubble popped, there was nobody ringing a bell that said, "Hey, this terrible thing just happened." Therefore, everybody sell your shares. It just all of a sudden happened. Uh, There was no nothing you could point to that caused that particular bubble to burst. It was just. The, there were no more buyers left. Everybody was was already in the pool, and there was nobody left to jump jump in and keep the, the waves going. So uh, at that point, everybody started to realize, "Wow, this is overdone, isn't it?" And started heading for the exits. And we had a you know Nasdaq at that time. I think was down 80 percent or so in the ensuing fifteen to. 24 months. I can't remember how long it took, but it, it, it does, you know, usually it, it sells off very quickly in the early stages too when a bubble bursts. In this particular case, the bubble could continue all through 2021. Uh, and the internet bubble lasts about two and a half years. In this case, we have the Federal Reserve pumping money into the system and in a very sizable way. And that's the liquidity that the bubble feeds off of. So it could go on for a while. Uh, but on the other hand, we may all of a sudden see that inflation is kicking up uh, as a result of all the uh, economic initiatives and you know all the stimulus payments and all the money that the Federal Reserve has poured into the system. We may find that all of a sudden inflation is becoming an issue. At that point in time, the Fed would withdraw, uh, you know, change their monetary policy, and that might be the thing that would cause the bubble to pop. So there's, it's really hard to know. But you, one thing we can know is that we are in a bubble-like environment, particularly for some stocks. The technology sector in particular is overdone. And we've already actually seen the large cap tech stocks start to go sideways. They haven't really gone down, but they started to go sideways ever since early September. And uh, so they have semi-popped. <laughs> and the bubble has moved on to other stocks uh, since then. But uh, I think we're, you know, we're seeing some evidence that this bubble may be closer to the end than it is to the beginning. Well, I think that's a nice way of saying you're cautiously optimistic. Is that a is that a, a term I could use with how you're thinking? Yes, I mean <laughs> you always want to be you always want to be optimistic in this in this economy and in this country, even when uh, you know things are going against you in some ways. Uh, the the average company is so smart and so able to adapt and figure things out that if you have a long term perspective, you just want to keep that 
optimism at the forefront of, of your thinking and not get too pessimistic. Uh, that's at the great, same time, that's great wisdom coming from our guest today, Rusty Leonard. He is the president and founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners, a frequent guest, always does a great job. And Rusty, you mentioned inflation. You know, for the last decade, we've almost forgotten about inflation. 1.8%, I think, is what the IRS has told us, or Department of Labor, excuse me. And I think that's important because I, I just think it, it's one of those things that, you know, out of sight, out of mind, but it is something we have to think about, and I appreciate you mentioning that. Joining me here at the studio is Michael Powell, a certified financial planner, and Michael, I know you've got a question for Rusty, and it, it's a, it leads into something that I think is important for our listeners, and important basically because of all the things going on right now. Sure. Hi, Rusty. Quick question for you. So, hey. just to transition a little bit from what you and Jim had just recently talked about, but I don't know if you heard about an uh, inauguration coming this week and it just happened uh we've just changed presidencies end of trump's run what are the chances you see of us having a calmer political environment uh and what are the prospects for the opposite of this because we went through a lot of that i guess craziness towards the end of trump's candidacy uh but love to hear your opinion on that well yeah i'm i am fearful of uh, the political environment, particularly that there might be political violence. Uh, the I've never seen in, uh, in my entire life, I don't think, uh, the animosity that you see on both sides of the equation of the political spectrum right now. And we all know that there are people at the very far ends of those political spectrums that um, are prone to do foolish things. We saw that on January 6th in the, at the Capitol. Um, so, you know, there's, and there's certainly plenty of people on the other side of the spectrum that are ready to, you know, do equally foolish things and we're doing equally foolish things during the summertime. So it's it's definitely a situation that even though Donald Trump is a polarizing character and he's now out of office, he is still going to be get, attracting a lot of headlines. And with the Democrats taking control, they're they're going to be changing a lot of his policies which will inflame passions uh further among those on the right. So I think I'm hopeful, you know, that we can somehow avoid trouble, but I am, uh, you know, very, my, my eyes are wide open to the possibility that we may have uh, political violence in the months to come. And I hope that's not the case, but it's something that we, we do need to, uh, you know, pay attention to. I don't think that's necessarily something that would affect the stock market, uh, the bond market in sure. any substantial way, but it's nevertheless something that would, uh, us uh, disconcerted. Well, I think you're exactly right. It's in other words, it keeps that. Um, I guess that fear a lot of people might have of what could possibly happen. Now, let's talk about just the the two parties. Obviously, there's been a lot of changes in the last four years, and now they're saying there's going to be a lot of changes going forward in the next four years. Do those changes, I mean, how does that play out as an investor? You said it earlier that the great companies of America, and I'm just adding uh, the great companies of America, you said just, you know, smart companies do smart things. Mm -hmm. How does that affect, I mean, with all this changes, how does that affect the companies? I mean, how do you look at that and how do you put that into perspective? Perspective when you're making investments. Well, sure. When you have a, a new political party taking control, uh, they are going to have a different agenda, and that's going to impact companies, certain companies, you know, very uh, meaningfully. They're going to have to, you know, adapt to this new leadership and new. Uh, 
set of rules that the new leadership is trying to put in place. For most companies, it's not a big issue, but some will find themselves right in the crosshairs and they've got to, you know, they're the ones you want to probably avoid if you can, or make sure that they have a really smart plan to deal with that. And so, so that's, you know, that's what I do every day. That's my job is to try to identify those companies that are going to be the beneficiaries. Of course, for every new administration, there's beneficiaries and losers. And, you know, you just try to identify those that are going to be the beneficiaries and stay away from the losers. And then you're going to find others that are in the crosshairs and you might initially think, gosh, they're going to be in trouble. They're, they're definitely going to be, you know, spitting into the wind here for the next four years. And, uh, you know, you see that their CEOs are quite clever and re- reposition the company or reposition their messaging or something to keep them out of harm's way. So, uh, like, like yeah, as we said, it's, uh, there's a lot of really smart managers out there who run these companies and who adapt to the reality that they face on a daily basis, whether it be from politics or anything else, virus, you know, virus problems. You've seen companies do all kinds of incredible things to adapt to the virus. They certainly can adapt to changing local climates. What about the big tech companies? I mean, all of a sudden you've got this literally a changing of mind where they we actually deplatform the conservatives. I mean, that's a that was a huge move in my opinion. I just feel like that that's is the that not what do you what's your opinion from that perspective? I mean, we could probably dive into that from a political side, but from an investment side, what are you thinking? Well, I do think that the big tech companies are in, are in big trouble, no matter what. Um, so the uh, and you've heard it just from the politicians speaking. Obviously, people on the right end of the political spectrum are kind of outraged by these. Uh, you know, freedom of speech issues, uh, whether just, as you said, deplatforming people who they disagree with. And uh, that is outrageous, and everybody should be outraged by it. It's not something that uh, seems at all equitable in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, the, the manner in which it was implemented uh, is disconcerting. It, was a very, it seemed like a very planned event, and they, I think they probably waited until after the uh, Georgia elections were completed so that they knew they wouldn't have any political backlash from their moves uh, from the Senate, if the Senate had still been controlled by the Republicans. So, uh, yeah, that was, that's very disconcerting. And, um, uh, I, you know, obviously you're hearing uh, from the left all kinds of, uh, you know, just terrible ideas that are going to inflame the passions of those on the right. And again, that's one of the reasons why I mentioned earlier, I think the risk of political violence is, is much greater. But those companies, uh, I'd be very hesitant to wanting to be wanting to be an owner of any of those big cap, you know, large cap tech companies right now that are involved in this deplatforming effort, because even though the right, obviously, the political right is going to be heavily against them, uh, there's going to be probably a whole new ecosystem developed for people on the political right where they can't be deplatformed, and then. So that's a competitive threat. And then the people on the left are after them as well. They don't like them either. So, so these companies are amongst the, the biggest in terms of market cap and most influential in our stock market indexes. And yet they have threats coming at them from every direction. So as we were talking earlier, they may have a real difficult time adapting because no matter which way they adapt, they seem to be in trouble at this point. In time. Well, that's a huge, I appreciate you, you know, giving us some insight into that because I see that as a huge problem. I, I just feel like that is a, you know, a big beginning of something that we just don't want to go down that path. And yet I, I think we could say without hesitancy that that was a political mistake, but also an industry mistake. And so well said, yeah. uh, Rusty, yeah. I appreciate you saying that. Let me, let's go outside the United States. I want to go to China. You know, I've read recently that we've got cities that are, you know, their, their lights are being turned off at night because they don't have enough electricity. You've got companies in China that are defaulting on their debt. What in the world is going on in China? If all we 
read is one side, everything's great. But then you know there's been lots of problems and a lot of individuals. What do you see that's happening in China? Well, those things that you mentioned are are of concern because as as we know, China doesn't really tell us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? So, so we uh, we have to look for clues. And so, when you see Chinese cities going dark because they don't have enough coal to fire up their energy uh, plants, and when you see state-controlled companies uh, defaulting on their debts, and when they take somebody like Jack Ma, who is the uh, head of uh, Alibaba, which basically uh, the Jeff Bezos, the guy who heads up Amazon in the U.S. It's his, he's, he's the same guy in China, the richest guy in China, essentially. And uh, he just reappeared yesterday for the first time in two months. He was disappeared by the state. Uh, his, they're trying to dismantle his company. Uh, you know, there are things going on in China just on, the, on those fronts, not to mention the uh, military front, that are all very disconcerting. And uh, we need to be aware of that as investors. Uh, at some point in time, we may wake up one day and, you know, all of a sudden the truth may come out about problems that are much bigger than anybody ever uh, was aware of. And the market has, uh, for the most part, the world's financial markets have kind of bought into the idea that China is a stable, uh, unchanging thing that, you know, you can count on. And we may w- make, wake up one day and find out it's just a pile of debts that they can't pay back. So uh, so anyway, that's something that we, we want to keep a very close eye on. We're starting to see some fault lines develop there. And so that is disconcerting as well. Now, I will say this. If China all of a sudden collapses, uh, it's really a Chinese problem. It's not something that would be quite as uh, devastating as the U.S. financial system collapsing. If the Chinese financial system collapses, that's a big problem for China. It's not necessarily a big problem for the world because they're not as integrated into the world financial system as other countries are. Well, I, you know, I think that's a huge, I mean, a lot of people read that. And, and Rusty, you've done a great job of helping us get through that. A lot of people read about China. They almost uh, have this fear of China. And I think it's been kind of positioned in the media. But what you're telling us, maybe not all, maybe the baby doesn't quite look as good as it. Uh, everybody thinks it does, you know, from that standpoint. Yeah. I appreciate that. I got a last question for you because I think it's a question that we're all, you know, are concerned about. And, and you know, this is the latest hack in the government's uh, corporate computer systems. I mean, I just had a hack yesterday, not me, but my lawyer, one of my biggest lawyer firm, of client of a firm, and everybody, I mean, all of a sudden I get a letter from him and he says, hey, um, you know, go to this, this box and, you know, I've got a message for you for, for your, you know, client, da, 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 da. It, was, it looked to me as legitimate. Well, my system fortunately blocked it and I couldn't go into it. He sends me a letter at about an, an hour and he says, please do not open this. I've been hacked. My computer's been taken over. We've got a major problem at the firm. We thought we had, I mean, it's like unbelievable. So in your opinion, what should investors really be concerned about? Not only with the latest hack in the government system, but all the corporate systems. Yeah, it's hard to know and uh, because they haven't told us too much about it. And, of course, that concerns me more than anything, right? Because when you're dealing with national security, obviously the government doesn't want to share you know, what all their weaknesses are on this front. If they had had it resolved uh, quickly, I'm sure they would have told us that. And the news that did come out initially was that, hey, this is going to take years to unwind this. And we don't know exactly what they have and what they might do with it. 
So we haven't seen anything happen so far, which would indicate that uh, hackers have, you know, too much control over our, uh, the situation or can blackmail the United States or something like that. There's been no indication of that yet. But it is a, a risk that's hanging out there because we just can't and don't know what the full extent of this is and what the full ramifications of it might be further down the line. So something to keep in the back of your mind. Uh, it may turn out to be nothing, and one of the reasons why we're not hearing anything about it may be because there's nothing to it at this stage of the game, but it may be something that pops up at a very critical moment uh, in some international negotiation or something when uh, it's, uh, it sways things in a way that you know would be very unpleasant for the United States of America. Well, Rusty, I so much appreciate you saying that. Bottom line is, folks, we've been listening to Rusty Leonard, and he has talked about the bubble. What can we expect with the bubble? He's going through the idea of the Trump presidency. We've covered a lot of things about the update on the economy and what to look forward to with 2021. Now, Rusty, I'm going to quote you. You didn't say the bubble was going to burst burst in 2021. Am I right? Did I did I hear that? Did, did that can I put that down? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay, we got it. We got it recorded. No, Rusty, I so much appreciate what you do. Thank you so much, my friend. You do a wonderful job, always giving us great information, and I think it's information that we understand and you do it in such a way that it's great communication and we appreciate you very much sir have a wonderful day thank you that's rusty leonard and he is the stewardship partners founder and executive ceo boy i tell you such a great guy thank you rusty Thank you. All right. Now, coming up, we have a program. I tell you, I want to introduce this lady and just get her started. We're going to take a break in just about two seconds. Welcome to the program. We have Tiffany Bowder. She is here. She's an attorney. And guess what we're going to talk about? Cars. No, just kidding. We're going to talk about, she's an attorney, folks. We're going to talk about, do you need an estate plan? Welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Jim. Happy to be here. All right. We're coming back with this lady. Not only does she dress up the studio. Face it, that you know, between Michael and me and Brody, yeah, it's a much better edition. We're coming back. We're going to talk about the question is do I need estate planning? Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. What is dedication? The thing that drives me every day as a dad is Dariana. We call him Day Day for short. Every day he's hungry for something, whether it's attention, affection, knowledge. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that when he's no longer under my wing, that he's a good person. I want him to be able to sit back one day and go, we worked together, we did a good job. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Jim Shoemaker and Michael Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Secure and Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We have a guest in the studio with us today. We're going to talk about a subject that here's the question from what you sent us, and we always try to answer your questions. And if you've got questions for us, just send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And as always, we do try to answer your questions. Now, here's the question. It comes from a young couple, young, 40, 42, married. They got great family. They've been around a long time. Great parents. Everybody 
everybody's doing fine. Three kids, the oldest is 15, and then they've got two that are, you know, 10 and 5. And, you know, so that's pretty good. That means amazing, five years apart. But I was kind of just now just don't realize that, 5, 10, and 15. That's pretty good. But here was their question. Mom and dad told them they got to get an estate plan. They said to us, do we need an estate plan? Or, Tiffany, here's what they asked, just a will. Welcome to the program again. Thanks, Jim. That's an excellent question. They absolutely need to get an estate plan. They need a will, but they need to sit down with an attorney who can talk about their entire situation, their finances, their goals, their goals for their family. They need to uh, have an attorney who can address issues such as, do any of the children have special needs? Uh, is is there anything else that they need to consider? An estate plan and an estate planning attorney can make sure that all those questions are answered, their assets are protected, and also that their children will be provided for in the manner that they would like for them to be provided for in the event something happened to both of them. I know a lot of times you talk about this, and let me make sure everybody understands this. Financial professionals like Michael and I, we do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and we always tell you this, and this information shouldn't, as we talk about it, as Michael and I might talk about it, should not be considered as such. You should always consult someone like Tiffany for your tax and legal, you know, as far as the advisement that you need from her regarding your own specific tax or legal uh, situation. That's always, I just want to make sure we get that cleared. Michael and I will always direct you as CFPs to that professional, but we do not give that professional advice. But you're talking about that you say, and you said it almost in a blanket statement, Tiffany, and yet... A lot of clients just struggle with that. And here's the thing that I think you sometimes say, and we kind of nail this. Number one reason, avoid probate. Granted, we understand that. Our court supervision of your assets. Somebody else doing that where you, if you, you know, avoid probate, don't, you know, get the court, keep the court out of your situation. But one of the reasons why I've always felt like was so important, especially in this couple's case, they've got three minor children. Hammer that for us. Why is that so important for us to have a, a will and what fits into the will for those three children? Absolutely. I think that one of the primary misconceptions that a lot of people have is if they die without a will, that everything is going to go to their surviving spouse. And that is not the case in Tennessee. It's going to go to the spouse and the children. If those children are minors, that means that their portion of the inheritance of the estate is going to have to be under court supervision until they turn 18. That's problematic for several different reasons. One, it's going to be costly and time-consuming to go through the process of getting a guardian appointed, opening a guardianship of the estate of the minor children. So that's the first thing. You have to go through the courts. Two, the parents or whoever the surviving parent or who the whoever the guardian is, uh, is going to have to get permission from the court whenever they want to encroach on that estate. All right, I've got a question for you. Let's just let's get this down to where rubber meets the road. Sure. All right, you got a couple, three kids. I'm talking to them right now. I'm saying, okay, Bob and Mary. I don't know what they're. Don't go tell you what their names were. <laughs> Bob passes away. 
and, and you know, Mary re- receives a portion of his estate. Not a, if it's by beneficiary, she gets what is. If she's the beneficiary, she gets the benefit. She's that poor. You were talking about something that's not beneficiary designated or contractually designated. Explain that so everybody understands that. Sure, absolutely. So in Tennessee, when someone passes, anything that has a beneficiary designation, such as a life insurance policy or an account that has a payable on death designation or a retirement account or something with a 401k, something with a beneficiary designated on it. That passes automatically to the designated beneficiary by operation of law. It is not part of what we call the estate. The same is true with jointly owned uh, assets. So if you own a bank account with uh, joint tenants with right of survivorship, then that is going to go automatically to the joint owner by operation of law. So what we're talking about when we're talking about the estate are assets that are owned by the decedent, by the person who passed, in their sole name without a joint owner or a beneficiary. Those things are called the probate estate. And the only way to get those assets from the ownership of the decedent to whoever the heirs at law are law are is to go through this process that we call probate through our probate courts here in Shelby County. So it can become very complicated as far as just passing assets. But now let's go back to this guardianship. If they you know, pass away and there's no guardian, both, both of these people pass away. Let's just take it that away. Or... I mean, what happens when you have a battle? You know, I mean, in grandparents won't, you know, I can let's split the kids. You get two, I yeah. get one. I you got know? the china, fine china, <laughs> you get something else. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, I like the little girl. She's a good kid. I'll take her. Ah, the boys. You, you know what? I mean, that happens, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There can be um, contests in the court over who should have guardianship of the children as far as their physical care and custody, definitely, but also who has control of the money. So there's there's guardianship of the person of the kids and guardianship of the estate of the kids. Well, I've done this long enough, and I have to say, and I'm sure you have too, I have been in the courtrooms, and I have been with the attorney, uh, the judge, and I have sat and watched the families not speak f- nice things about each other, and the kids are sitting there watching this and listening to this. It permanently affects those children. So you're talking about something very serious here. So let's go back to the question. Do I need an estate plan? Yes. Do I need a will? Absolutely. And what's in the will, guardianship and direction of, of property that you want to go to, the people that you want it to go to. Absolutely. So you can name who you want to have guardianship of your children. And then also what we need to do is set up what we call a testamentary trust for the children's benefit inside the will. That's that's one estate planning mechanism that we use, and it's a very common one. And by doing this, we can ensure that the children's assets go into a trust for their benefit and you as their parents in your will are able to designate who you want the trustee to be, who's the person who's in charge of the money, making decisions, investing it and giving it to the children or or to the guardian who has physical guardianship for their benefit. And you also can decide when, at what ages or upon what conditions the children actually receive the corpus of that money. If you don't have that, that money is tied up in the courts till they turn 18. And then once they turn 18, that money is legally theirs. 
and an 18-year-old inheriting a large chunk of change is probably not the best idea. I had one buy a sailboat. <laughs> really? Yeah, for the Mississippi River. <laughs> sure, or cars for their friends, oh, yeah. or yeah. Tr- trips, or Vegas, or what, whatever it yeah. is. Um, very few 18-year-olds, I think, are going to well, be I tell you, equipped. I, I wouldn't have done good at 18. <laughs> no. I, I definitely would not. Um, and you also have to worry about creditors. Yeah. You, know, you know, they yeah. could run up tons of credit card bills, and now all of a sudden they have this money and their creditors can get it. and Or they get married, and maybe that wasn't a great decision, and now it's part of their marital estate. And So there's a lot of pitfalls and a lot of reasons why getting that will done is so crucial. Yeah, you got a good point there. And uh, just to go back to the guardianship, when you're meeting with clients or meeting with new people that are just pretty green to everything with estate planning, uh, what's that conversation like when you're talking about, hey, if me and my wife die, who's taking care of the kids? Do they have a do they need to have a conversation with those people that they appoint or do those people that they appoint, let's say they don't know it, something happens, do they have like a right to <laughs> withdraw from that? I mean, I don't not, want not those to sound kids. Like a, no, not to sound like that, but I mean, oh no, I hear that, you. What's that conversation sure. like? Because I, I could feel like that's a whole lot of mess if you don't have that conversation. Well, you know, you think about it. I mean, let's say you do have plan B and C, right? Yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think it's important to have that conversation on several different levels. First, the parents need to sit down and have that conversation together of who they want to have custody of the children and be in charge of the money. Because sometimes, often, 99% of the time, couples come to me together, and I represent them both as a couple, and that's fine. Uh, But they need to be on the same page as far as who do they want to have custody of the kids. (laughs) I'm sure it can be conflicting Uh, sometimes. It it can be. I don't want your brother. Your brother? No way, Jose. I do not want your brother. So that's important. Let's have that conversation. And then I absolutely think they should talk with whoever it is is that they want to have guardianship of the children. Uh, They need to know those people. I always encourage my clients to do several things, including having conversations with whoever it is that they designate as guardian and trustee. But also, I help my clients put together a packet of information that includes a list of all their accounts, all their life insurance policies, my information, uh, Jim's information, whoever our team is, Mm -hmm. uh, so that along with their original estate planning document, They keep those in a a place like a fireproof safe in their home, and they let these key people know that that is there. So if something happens to them, the family can go right to that spot, and they know where everything is. They know who to contact. They know the next steps. They know exactly what the assets are. It makes things so much better easier for the family if a tragic event happens. Uh, You know, oftentimes I have clients who come to me and their mom, who happened to be very elderly, passes and they go into her home and there's boxes full of all kinds of bank statements and life insurance policies from 1970. and, And now we're spending a lot of time and a lot of money tracking things down to figure out what's still in effect. What did they have? What? And so by just sort of getting everything in line up front, it gives you peace 
of mind. It makes things much easier for your family. I've heard a few people call that little organization thing if something happens, the Mack truck. Book. There you <laughs> go. I, I like my, that. If That's I go buy a Mack truck, yeah, what I'm gonna, the this book, is where you. Yeah. Where's the book of secrets? I guess to I'm tell gonna, me what's I'm going on. I'm going to start. I'm going to start using that. And people also, just on a lighter note, you can leave, you know, letters to your family, or we sometimes call them executor letters, where you write out, um, you know, your wishes for g- giving different items to people. Or oh, one couple I know had a very, very lengthy handwritten letter about how to care for their dog. Oh. Oh, yeah. who is like their baby now yeah, exactly. and you know who the groomer is what their favorite toys are so whatever it is that you want to leave for people to know you can do that so. I've even seen those details with like I've got a rose garden <laughs> that's know? right absolutely to, this is how to take care absolutely. of it don't screw it up that's right gone, you know? that's absolutely if you yeah. just tuned in we're talking with Tiffany Bowder she is an attorney and her telephone number because you may want to call her 578-8888 she's attorney with Butler Severe Hensley and Reed and you know, bottom line is, the question was, do I need an estate plan or just a will? Well, I think what we're hearing is um, spend some time. There's a lot to it from this standpoint. The question, I guess, here's another one that we get and we get a lot. And the bottom line is, I think it's important, a living will. A living will. And I want you to kind of tie that in to a power of attorney. They're not the same, but somehow they get confused. Help us with that. Definitely. So a living will is a document that doesn't convey any power to anyone. Instead, it's your express wishes to your healthcare providers in the hospital of what you would want to have happen if you were in a brain dead vegetative state and there was no medical hope or recovery. Some people think I'm in that state a lot. can, Can you get in and out of that state? We won't go there. My wife says, are you listening to me? Does that mean my brain? No. Yeah, oh, never so. mind. Go ahead. Right. That's right. <laughs> She's listening now. I know. <laughs> so, or, so, it's, it's, so the living will is the document that you sign where you say you don't want to be kept alive on machines, basically. That you don't want a feeding tube. You don't want IV fluids. You don't want to be kept alive on breathing machines. It's your right to die naturally. So that's what the living will does. It works in, in conjunction with the power of attorney, but you're correct. They're very different documents. The power of attorney, in contrast, is the legal document where you give somebody else the legal right and authority to act on your behalf in the event you need them to do that. It contains both financial powers and health care powers. So you're giving someone else the ability to handle all your financial affairs, write checks, talk to creditors, the banks, all of those things, also to talk to doctors, to access medical records, and to make healthcare decisions for you in the event you're not able to do that yourself. All right. Now, now here's the question, and I think, I think I know the answer, but I want the listening. You folks need to listen to this. This will this will kind of bother you a little bit because I think most people don't know this. I'm married to a wonderful lady. Been married to her for 49 years. Wonderful lady. Wonderful lady. She's listening. Wonderful lady. Anniversary coming up? Or yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. No, here's the thought. I get into this vegetation, this problem, and she needs to make a decision. She's my wife. Can she do that? Legally under HIPAA, no. I knew you was going to say that. Now, listen, folks. Did you hear what she just said? This is my wife for 49 years. Nobody knows me as, as well as she does. But she cannot make my decisions. 
And neither can a child. If you're a you got a child in college, and that child is you wanting, you know, he wants something, and he's a minor, you can't make the child, or even the child. So there's a real problem here when people think this is my child, this is my husband, and yet HIPAA says no, you've got to have a document. That's correct. So HIPAA says that the the healthcare providers can't discuss the details of your medical condition or release medical records unless you have given permission in some way to do that or unless you have conservatorship through the probate courts. So getting that power of attorney is especially important. I also make sure that all of my clients who have children that turn 18 have their children sign powers of attorney for the very reason that you mentioned, which is once they turn 18, the parents have no legal right to access their medical information. So if, for example, they got in a car wreck and were rushed to the hospital and the parents were calling around trying to find out where they were, the hospital can't release that information to the parents without power of attorney. Listen, folks, that's critical. And it's shocking how many people don't know that. Now, you, if you're just tuned in, this is Tiffany Bowder. She telephone number 578-8888. Don't put this off. Now, I'm not really doing an info commercial for Tiffany. I just think it's serious. And I've got somebody here that knows what to do about it. So bottom line is, Tiffany, I hope you get tons of phone calls. Bottom line is people need to take this seriously because you don't want to be fighting this on a Monday morning when something's happened to you Tuesday and you've got to go down to probate court to get the legal right to talk to your spouse. And that's what happens. Absolutely. That's absolutely true, Jim. And and one more thing, if I could also... uh interject uh, that it's very important. I have a lot of families who have children with special needs. Maybe they have autism or Downs or some something in which that child isn't really able to make decisions for themselves. It is critical, critical that you meet with an attorney before your child turns 18 so you can have a conservatorship in place as soon as they turn 18. So you'll be able to continue caring for them the way you always have. When they turn 18, you're going to lose that legal right and ability. So if that is also your situation, please contact an attorney. It's very, very important. Tiffany Bowders, that's 578-8888. We have a PDF that we put on our financial our Facebook page that I want to tell you about. It's called Estate Strategies. It's a critical elements of an estate plan. It's just a summary of a lot of what you know Tiffany's talking about. You can search on the doc for the document on our post. There you can either view the document if you'd like to print it out, download the to a PDF and you can print it out. That's uh, it's called Estate Strategies, Critical Elements of an Estate Plan. Tiffany, thanks so much. You always do a wonderful job and you definitely dress up the studio. Thank you so much. Happy to be here anytime. My guest, as we've been going through this whole conversation, Michael, you've been a part of the conversation, but I need you to talk about the subject that is so important to a lot of people. It's called FOMO. F-O-M-O. And the shocking thing about it is it can be a devastation to a lot of people financially. And so, Michael, for our listening audience, would you define FOMO? Look at you using these new I know. acronyms. And you're impressed. Else. Yeah, I, I really am. I really am. Now, uh, FOMO stands for fear of missing out. A lot of that, we, we tend to reference that in the social world. Like, hey, you're on vacation in Mexico. I wish I was there. You know, same type thing. Of course, there's not a lot of FOMO right now with going no, and traveling. Say, and, it may you know, be out of doing, doing different but things But people out. are knowing they're getting kind of geared back up. Right. Yeah, exactly. But uh, mainly, it's just this feeling of insecurity, anxiety over the possibility of missing out on something like an event or opportunity. That's really what FOMO means, fear of 
missing out. But when we look at it from a financial standpoint, we often look at so-and-so just bought a new car, bought a new house, got all this cool stuff, and it makes me feel insecure, and I got to go buy a new car and a new house, too. So that could be very dangerous, especially when it comes to our finances, because... It's like you you put too much on your plate at the buffet or at at a restaurant. It's like you may be chewing more. You than can't you, take it yeah. back. No, exactly. You can't take it back. So that's, you know, that's I, I think thing. this is is this a is this a just a millennial issue or is this across the board to everybody? I think it it's it's all the way across the board because you think of it from a uh, social standpoint, you tend to hang out or be around people in the same somewhat economic class together but that's not always the case so. you mean you're not you and i are not hanging out is that what you're trying to i mean i'd love to hang out okay. you don't ever call me <laughs> you don't ever call me you, know, hey, I mean, you just you call know. me to do this radio show i mean that's <laughs> i hear you but i hear what you're saying we have a tendency to do just what you're talking about yeah so i mean if you've got different friend groups and different I guess income levels that can be very hard if you've got a whole crew going on a beach trip that's very expensive and you got some that may not be able to afford all of it at that particular moment but they may get themselves into credit card debt or borrow some extra money from different places that wasn't planned on being spent on that can be a detriment to that person. That's an ego issue. Yeah, and, and I mean, and I understand that. That that drive. We're going to talk about that in a show coming up. But I mean, ego and pride and all those things, and how that affects money spending. So what you're saying is, is this this amount of Facebook time or whatever you want to call it, just the social media, can entice you to do some things that you may logically know you shouldn't do. Right. But your fear of missing out creates such a problem. Yeah, I get I can give you an example. I think it was like what? Three, four weeks ago we got a invitation in the mail. Wedding invitation, but it's in the Dominican Republic. Oh, let's go. Destination wedding. I was like, I don't care who's getting married, we're going, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but you think about getting that letter and oh. it's like, okay, it's eighteen months from now, twelve months from now. You could probably plan and save in enough time to do that. But if it's those improv type things, Let's go with, and here's the thing that about could be that. a little bit different. Not only that, but everybody you know is going to be there. Oh, yeah. Why didn't you go? You texting all your friends like, did you get uh, <laughs> Jamie's wedding invitation? And nobody wants to say Republic? I can't afford it. Yeah, no, that's that's the last thing people want to say. But I think we got to be real with ourselves and know that if you're truly friends with that person or they're friends with you, I mean, they'll understand. But sometimes our pride and our ego, like you said, it gets ahead of us. What's all right, with that being the problem, and I think we all understand that FOMO is a real societal problem in in the world, but definitely in the United States. Give us some ways to avoid some of this difficult, the financial difficulties that are created with FOMO. So one of the kind of like what I just said earlier with friends, if you got friends who are trying to decide what to do, see if you can suggest some more cheaper alternatives or free alternatives. There's no cost to go to the dog park. You know, you're like, <laughs> okay, Dominican Republic dog park. That's Boy, a huge, you're good. big spectrum there. <laughs> hey guys, Dominican Republic sounds great, but we might just take our dogs to the dog park. Let's go to the afternoon. dog park. No, I hear you. you but know, you're right. I understand what you're saying. I'm so, more or less like, okay, instead of going to the Dominican Republic with friends, how about we do a weekend camping trip? Okay. Something okay. that it's drivable. We don't have to pay for airfare tickets. We don't have to book a hotel. You know, different or carpooling. 
hey, you know, you got a bigger car, let me ride, I'll chip in on the gas. Sure, you know, absolutely. Whether it's a weekend trip, a long trip, cross country. I mean, if you think about just different alternatives, compromise, I think I think friends would understand that. But I'm just talking, the dog park thing was more like a weekend activity. I understand. Like, hey, we're going to Roots Chris tonight. We may do some other stuff. But, you know, I think what you're saying is nobody ever posts or ever come up with anything that anything but their win. So if they're going to send out something, it's going to look good. Most people don't want to talk about, let's just go to the dog park. It's right. always, let's do this and this and this. And you got to go, whoa, I can't do all of that. So yeah, I a hear lot of you. activities That's, you yeah, can post. I hear you. That can be a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure on an individual. You know, especially now, I mean, fortunately, I haven't had to do any dating here recently. That's a good thing. But, I, you know, I told you that earlier. She's listening again. 49 years. She's still listening. Yeah, I've already done that. Yeah. Right. Here's the thing, though. So many times, if you think about it, the pressure is on the male if he's trying to, you know, he's dating and all everybody else and he's trying to do this and save up for a ring or whatever he's yeah. doing. <sighs> you got to pick your battles. Oh, yeah. And that's, I think it's more or less prioritizing things. Because, I mean, if I've got, you know, several things I want to save money for and your buddies call you and say, hey, we're going out on the town, you know, all the couples are going out. You need to come out with us and stuff. That could be really tempting to just say, you know what? I'm going to go do that, live in the moment. But then if you can limit yourself or at least say, you know, I'm going to only have two nights a month to do that, it's a whole lot easier just to tell your friends, like, look, tonight's not a good night. I already had something else planned. You don't have to necessarily lie to them, but you could at least just be straight up with straight them. Straight up with them and understand. say, hey, you know, when I, my wife and I were dating, and, I, and this has been a long time ago, obviously, and the point is we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, we were in college, and then we didn't have a lot of money. With bottom line, we if we went out to dinner, it was the pizza place, and we would we knew the guy that owned the pizza place, and all those pizzas that were not ever, you know, people didn't come pick up. That's what he would serve us. And he, yeah. it was, he just was a gracious guy to us. Yeah. He kind of took us under his wing. You know, you think about it, that's not something – we didn't have to put that on Facebook. Hey, had another pizza tonight given to us because we can't afford it. We, we, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't put that on Facebook. Nobody else cared. Right. But today, it's a different mentality. It really is, yeah. And I guess back to the going out to eat or doing stuff on the weekend stuff, try to limit your credit card usage. I've seen that a lot because it's like if you have a credit card, you – Unfortunately, a lot of people think that's just free money or that's money I can spend now. I owe you later. That that really is what it is. But if you want to go out with your friends and still enjoy stuff, take cash. Take a limit. Take, mm. Whether it is or just take your debit card and know that like once I spend whatever's in my checking account, I can't spend any more. Credit cards are dangerous when it comes to that stuff. You know, so. you've said, bottom line is, always come up with an alternative for your friends. And then manage, when you say this, you're talking about limit your credit card use. I think the thing that you said earlier, and you just kind of flew by it, be honest. Yeah. That is so important in today's mentality, society, and that's difficult. And if they don't understand that, then they're probably not probably not one of your friends. true friends that they, you know— they you, think they have. You, you said a while ago, prioritize your goals. Mm -hmm. Now, help our listening audience to know when you talk about FOMO, this is not a financial planning deal. No. But it's really about learning to be disciplined. Yeah. It, it all comes down to your budget. Um, well, not really budget, but prioritizing your goals relative to my budget. Okay. So I get a paycheck. All the things that I hate to see come out of my paycheck come out. 
whatever I have left, I've got to be able to make ends meet until the next paycheck comes, right? So basically, if I have some goals already set in place, I want to retire at a certain age or saving for little Billy's college or whatever it is, I'm going to take care of that issue first. I am putting that back first. And then everything else I'm spending is towards the necessary bills. I got to keep the lights on, got to eat. And then whatever I have left over, that can help me use that towards the things I want to have fun with instead of the opposite. We, a lot of people nowadays are doing the exact opposite. I get paid. I do what I want to do. I pay my bills. If I got something left over, great. If I don't, on to the next on one. On to the next one. Yeah. Michael, this has been so, so much information. Thank you, man. I think today's program, if you've just tuned in, you need to go back and listen to this program. I mean, packed. I mean, what's the investment strategy for 2021? You're listening to Rusty Leonard. He laid it out for us. Then we got into estate planning with Tiffany Bowders. Did a wonderful job of giving us some insight of things we need to do. And, Michael, you've done phenomenal. I mean, fear of missing out, I know, is a lot of issues for a lot of people, and you've really given us some ideas about just trust yourself, know what you're doing, prioritize, manage your budget, check your friends. Don't make it so much pressure. Right. Yeah. I like it. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. Solid. Well, you've been listening to KWAM, the mighty 990, FM 107.9 and AM 990. I want to thank my guest, Rusty Leonard, of course, of Stewardship Partners, Tiffany Bowders. She's an attorney with Butler Severe, Hensley Hensley and Reed, and you can reach her at 578-8888. And of course, Michael, you can talk to Michael if you'd like to spend some time with him. He's a certified financial planner, 757-557. Seven five seven. To find a copy of that PDF that I mentioned earlier, Estate Strategies, it's a critical element of an estate plan. That's what it says. Estate Strategies, critical elements of an estate plan. Go to our Shoemaker Financial Facebook page and search for the document in our post. There you'll be able to either read it or if you'd like to download it to print it, that's fine. Just download it to a PDF and you can print it. My guest next week, you do not want to miss Bob Dahl as he talks about his top 10 predictions for 2021. That's Saturday at 10 a.m. right here on KWAM, the mighty 990, FM 107.9 and AM 990. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and this is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Brody Scott. Today's guests have been Rusty Leonard, CFA, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council Incorporated, Tiffany Bowders, attorney at Butler, Severe, Hensley, and Reed, and Michael Powell, CFP of Schumacher Financial. Guest in content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Lauren Forsyth. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Jim Shoemaker and Michael Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Secure and Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. 
Financial advisors do not provide specific tax legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax legal advisor regarding your own specific tax legal situation. Neither Securin Financial Services Incorporated nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners Investment Council Incorporated, Tiffany Bowder's attorney, or Butler, Severe, Hensley, and Reed. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard and Tiffany Bowders only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securin Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. Jim Shoemaker and Michael Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securin Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Where has all the money gone?